Sometimes people say things like, well, I'm having some really bad luck. Well, we already know there's no such thing as luck. Uh, there's no such thing as fate or chance. God is in control. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. He's the creator, redeemer, sustainer, provider, protector. Uh, he works everything according to the counsel of his will. And yet at the same time, God is sovereign, but we have free will. We have the great privilege to make choices, and yet every choice we make uh, fits in his sovereign plan. That's how great he is. We can't even grasp how amazing that is. Well, this morning we're continuing seeing the, the life of Paul, and we're going to see that God protects Paul, and we're going to see God's promise to Paul. So what's going on? And so as we start, I want you to see this, and we'll, as we go through, we won't go into uh, a lot of detail, but we're going to see three areas of God's protection. We're going to see hey, Paul, God protects Paul at the council, God protects Paul from the conspiracy, and God protects Paul with Felix. And we'll say, who is Felix? We'll talk about it. That's the, kind of the Roman, uh, yeah, kind of a main leader there. So let's, let's start with, the first of all, they bring Paul and they want him to go before the council. The council is called the Sanhedrin. And uh, there, there's a Roman by the name of Lysias. He wants Paul to appear before the council. Let me put the verse up. Now on the next day, I wanted to know for certain why Paul had been accused by the Jews. Remember the big crowd, the riot, and everything was going on. This guy wanted to know what was going on. So the next day, I wanted to know for certain why Paul had been accused by the Jews. He, his name is Lysias, released him and ordered the chief priest and all the council to assemble, and he brought Paul down and placed before them. Now remember, the Sanhedrin was made up of 70 people, and some were Pharisees and some were Sadducees. There were more Pharisees than there were Sadducees. Sadducees were richer. The priests were Sadducees. The wealthier, more of the wealthier people were Sadducees. We might look at the Sadducees and say they were a little bit on the liberal side. Then on this other side is the Pharisees. There were more Pharisees. They didn't have as much power because they didn't have the money. And they, we would look at them and say they're more of a little bit on the legalistic side because they actually believe that the law would bring salvation. You had to keep the law, and that way you'd get into the kingdom of God. So over here you have sort of the liberals. We'll talk more about what they believe in a minute. And you have the conservatives, so to speak, and that's the council. And they bring Paul before the council to challenge and to find out what's going on. In chapter 23, look at verse 1. Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I live my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. So he comes and he says, I have a good conscience before God. Listen, a good conscience doesn't mean you don't sin. A good conscience means that when you sin, you confess your sin. And what Paul was saying is, as a Jew, he was blameless, meaning that whenever he sinned, he did whatever the law required a person to do, so he was blameless under the law. As a believer, whenever he sinned, he confessed his sin. So that's basically what Paul is saying, I, I have a good conscience. And, and look, look, look at the next verse, and, and uh, it says, the high priest Annas uh, commanded those standing beside him to strike him in the mouth. Paul says that, so he says, hit that guy. So some guy goes over and slugs Paul in the face. And you know, Paul, <laughs> Paul said, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. What he's saying is, you're a hypocrite. God's going to strike you, you hypocrite. Don't try to sit and judge me according to the law and then violate the law by having me struck. He said, you're going to judge me according to the law, but you just broke the law yourself when you hit me. You're not supposed to hit me. I mean, that, I mean this is just what's going on. So, but the bystander said, you can't talk that way to the high priest. You know, if I, Paul could have said, this is the high priest. But look what Paul says. Paul said, oh, I was not aware, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Paul quotes the Bible. But he says, I wasn't aware he was the high priest. Now, wait a minute. The high priest is part of the Sanhedrin. So either Paul is saying, 
uh, you don't look like a high priest to me. <laughs> or he's saying, oh, I, I'm sorry, I couldn't see you well enough to really know you were the high priest. Who knows what Paul is saying? So he kind of gets out of it. But watch what Paul does. Now, he's got this plan. And look at Paul's plan. But Paul, perceiving that one group were what? What were they? Sadducees, that's the rich priestly group. And the other were Pharisees, that's the poor legalistic group. He'd been crying out to the council. Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. I'm on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. Now, if you're a Pharisee, what do you believe? You believe that one day people will be raised from the dead. Now, the thing, the problem with the Pharisees, the Pharisees held a lot to the Bible, and they would say that God is God, the law is what saves you, one day there'll be a resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous, and all the righteous who kept the law will go to be. So, so that's Pharisees. Now, Sadducees, and, and uh, uh, they're a little bit different. I'll show you more in just a minute. So Paul shouts out, I'm a Pharisee, and I'm on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. You know what he's saying? I've been telling everybody Jesus died and what? Rose again at the hope of the resurrection of the dead. So look what happened when he said that. He, I'm a Pharisee. And there, verse 7, and, and he said this, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. He's really smart. He divided the whole group. He said, oh, by the way, I'm a Pharisee. And all the Pharisees said, oh, yeah, he's a Pharisee. He's, he's with us. All the Sadducees said, no, he's not. He, what, what do you think? And all of a sudden, he's got them divided. And they began to argue back and forth. And then in verse 8, and by the way, here's what he puts. And he said this, a dissension occurred between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Is Paul pretty smart? But they got him on trial, and he turns the whole thing into a big thing where they're arguing with each other. And then verse 8 gives us what they believe. It says, for the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. <coughs> Do you understand that the high priest of Israel were Sadducees? Sadducees did not believe in life after death. They believed when you died, that was the end. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in spirit beings. The Sadducees, who were the priest of Israel, did not believe in angels or life after death. You understand how how things have progressed to be nothing? That's liberals. There are people today who say, oh, we don't know where the Bible is. I mean, it's a book. It's not from God. And there are many ways to God. We would say there are Christian churches today that are calling themselves Christian churches that do not believe the Bible, do not believe that Jesus is the only way, and do not believe that salvation is by faith. And we say, good night, that's way off. Well, they're way off over here. Now, the Pharisees did believe in resurrection, and they believed in spirits and angels and everything else. So all of a sudden, he's divided the whole group. And the Sadducees, nothing supernatural. Pharisees, they believed all of it. And so they've got this big division. And verse 9 says, and they record this great uproar. Some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party said, we find nothing wrong with this man. And a great dissension was developing. And the commander, the guy that put Paul there, was afraid they're going to jump on him and beat him to death, going to tear him to pieces so he has to rescue him out of there. So God saves, once again, God protects Paul. He's in the midst of all these people standing before the religious body of Israel, and they can't do anything. Now, we want to see that God makes a promise to Paul. Remember I said we're seeing God's protection and God's promises. Here is the promise. On the night, on the following night after all this happened, the Lord stood near him and said, Be courageous, 
For just as you've testified to the truth about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome also. What does he know? What does he know? He's what? He's going to Rome. He knows it. He knows it. God would make sure that Paul went to Rome. Now, how's he going to get to Rome? Paul's original plan to go to Rome was to go to Jerusalem and then get in a boat somewhere and get to Rome and then eventually go to Spain. That's not exactly how it's going to happen, but we're going to see that God's going to get him to Rome. And one thing about it, God's word is always true. You can always trust it. God's love never changes. He gives us eternal life. He takes us to be with him. Listen, you can trust every promise that God gives. So the first protection is protection from the council. And Paul was smart enough to say, oh, Pharisees, Sadducees. I'm a Pharisee. And all of a sudden, they, some of the Pharisees said, we don't see anything wrong with this guy. You can see the Sadducees going, what, have you lost your mind? What is, and they had a big argument. So now we're going to see something else. God is going to protect Paul from the conspiracy. Well, what, what are we talking about? Well, when it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and put themselves under an oath saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they killed Paul. And there were more than 40 who formed this plot. So 40 men or more decided we're going to take a vow we will not eat or drink until we kill Paul. We're going to kill him. And they had this plan. They said, we're going to go back to the Romans and say, we need to meet with him with the council one more time. And when they bring Paul out to go to the council, these 40 men are going to jump out and kill Paul. That's their plan. Sounds like a pretty good plan. In fact, sounds like this could be really, really, really bad. But God's going to protect him. Because what did God say? You're going to where? You're going to Rome. You know what Paul could say? They, okay, nothing happened to me until I get to Rome at least, right? Nothing. Because that's what God said. So look what happens, verse 16 of chapter 23. But the son of Paul's sister. Did you know Paul had a sister? Have you ever thought about Paul and his family? Paul had a sister. And this is Paul's nephew. This is the son. Notice, notice what it says. The son of Paul's sister. Where is she living, obviously? Jerusalem, obviously. What is she doing there? Wait, have you ever heard of her? Did you know he had a sister? Well, we know that her sister has a son. And we're going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something to you, and you tell me how old do you think this son is. Okay? Watch this. But the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, and he came and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Lead this young man to the commander, for he has something to report to him. And so, uh, it, so he took him and led him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to lead this young man to you since he has something to tell you. So, so the commander took him by the hand, stepping aside, began to inquire of him privately, what is it you have to report to me? What do you think? Got to be, listen, you think a commander's going to take him by the hand? This, this 22-year-old man, here, give me your hand and we'll walk out the door. I think he's a boy. I think he's a young boy. And he shows up, tells Paul, the word is out. Forty men are going to try to kill you. Paul says, calls in the commander, says, take this young man, take him up to Lysias, take him up there and tell him what's going on. 
So they get there, and they said, Paul said, this young boy needed to come talk to you. And he went, okay, come on, son. What's going on? What do you want to tell me? What are you going to tell me? And he tells him that 40 men, under the guise of bringing Paul back to meet with the Jews, 40 men are ready to jump on him and kill him. And so he says, so don't listen to them for more than 40 men are lying in wait. Now, let me ask you something. Did those people kill Paul? You think they ever ate or drank again? <laughs> I always said to him, hey, have fun starving to death because you're not getting Paul because God's already said what? He's going to Rome. So when these people made a stupid vow, we're not going to eat or drink till we'll kill Paul. Well, good luck because you're not going to get him. And so what did, what did the soldier do? He called to him two of his centurions. How many soldiers does a centurion control? A hundred. He called two of his centurions and said, get 200 soldiers ready by the third hour of the night. Whoa, third hour of the night. Hmm. That's like nine o'clock at night. And proceed to Caesarea with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. Now, I mean, that could be 270 or it could be 400 and something people. Do you think he's taking any chances? How many soldiers are out there? I mean, the low end of it is 270-something, but the high end of it is 400-and-something soldiers. So this guy values Paul. He says, I'm not going to take any chances with this, these people out there think they're going to, to, uh, to get him. So he got all these soldiers, and so the commander instructed, and he got 200. And it basically says, get 200 soldiers and then 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. So I think he probably had 470 soldiers to help Paul get from Jerusalem to Caesarea because that's where they're going to take him. They're going to take him to Caesarea because at Caesarea, uh, there is a guy by the name of, a governor by the name of Felix. He's the governor, and he doesn't come to Jerusalem it's, it's Caesarea, and it's, by the way, it's Caesarea by the sea. It's a great place to live. It's, it's on the coast, and it was a very, very Roman town named after Caesar, Caesarea, and so it was a very Roman town, and so the Roman governor lives there. He didn't live in Jerusalem. He, he didn't care anything about living where the Jews are. He wants to live by the coast. There was a special, there's an aqueduct there now that was there even then. That water was transported all the way down the coast by this aqueduct at Caesarea. So it's pretty special. So he, he gets ready and this Lysias says, well, I better write a letter. So he says this. And Lysias wrote to Felix the governor. He says, and he wrote a letter with the following content. Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor, Felix. Greetings. You know, they, write, they wrote letters different than us, right? You go, dear Joe, da 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 da, signed JB. And that day, it basically said, JB to Joe at the very beginning. So this is Lysias writing to Felix. He didn't say, dear Felix, and at the end, write Lysias. No, he's, he, it's at the start. That's how they did their letters. And so he writes his letter, and he basically tells them that this man Paul was going to be killed, and he's saving his life, and he sent him up there, and he wants to pr protect him. That's the plan. So this takes us to the third thing. Paul, God protects Paul with Felix. Now, who is this Felix? And we're going we're gonna, if to, you, if you read over to um, verse 34, oh, but let's go back to verse 33. It says, when these things had come to Caesarea and delivered the letters of the governor, they presented Paul to him. You can see him. They bring him, they bring Paul up to this guy, and he's the governor, and he's sitting there, and he looks at Paul, and then it says, when he had read the letter, he said... What province are you from? 
where are you from? And he said, I'm from Cilicia. And Paul said, well, okay, I'll give your, your, you a hearing after your accusers, your accusers arrive here. He says, I'll listen, to your, I'll listen to your trial. I'll listen to your trial. Felix says he'll decide the case after Lysias comes down and they bring the people. God's, by the way, God's timing is not the same as ours. How long do you think you're going to have to wait? How long do you think that Felix is going to wait uh, until he makes his decision? He never makes the decision. He keeps Paul in prison for two years without making a decision. And a new guy by the name of Festus comes in, and Festus is going to have to make a decision. Now, if you're Paul, and God said, don't worry, you're going to go to where? Rome. Did he say, now, by the way, it'll be a couple of years. Is that what you think Paul thought? I don't think so. And I think Paul would have thought, I don't know how I'm getting to Rome, but I'm getting to Rome, and it probably won't be that long. But I want you to notice, God's timing is not ours. After two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Festus, and Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor, left Paul in prison. While he was the governor, for two years, he left Paul in prison without a trial. And Paul was a what? A Roman citizen. Now, you may say, why did God leave him there? God wanted Paul to witness to Felix and Drusilla, his wife. Why did, Paul, why did God leave Paul there? You ever wonder why God put you someplace? Or you say, well, that's not exactly where I wanted to be. Why did God put you there? He's had something for you. Why does God do anything? Why does he, what, and he works all the things in our lives, and there's nothing by chance, and you're not here by chance, either this morning or in this town or at this part of your life. There's not anything as chance. God is working all the events of your life. And so Paul could say, why am I here? And we're going to see why. Because now, some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife. Who was Jewish? Felix married a Jewish woman and sent for Paul and look and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's there for two years. If you ask Paul, why do you think you were there for two years? You know what he said? God wanted me to talk to Felix. God wanted me to tell Felix about Jesus Christ. That's why he left me there. Notice, I want you to see something, because I want you to, we're going to go back, we're going to see what happened. In chapter 24, verse, uh, chapter, um, 24, verse 25, some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewish, and sent for Paul, and wanted to hear him speak about faith in Christ. Now, th listen, is that, is that clear or not clear? About what? Faith in Christ Jesus. What do we believe? We tell people Jesus died and rose again, and whoever does what? Believes in him has eternal life. That's faith in Christ Jesus. I mean, this is the message. He, Paul went, do you think when Paul stood before this guy, he beat around the bush? Paul never beats around the bush on anything. We should never beat around the bush. We should tell the truth. Listen, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? You don't know? Let me tell you how you can possibly, right now, for sure, know. And we tell them the truth about faith in Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in him will never perish, but have what? Eternal life. 
So watch the response. Oops, there it is. As he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened. What? And responded, go away for now. And when I have an opportunity, I will summon you. You think he ever brought Paul back? Listen to this. At the same time, he was hoping money would be given to him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send for him quite often and converse with him. Every now and then, old Felix would go, bring that Paul guy out here. I want to ask him some more questions about God and about this, about, about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come. See, we're all sinners. We need, we need righteousness, self-control. That's dealing with sin. That's the judgment to come. He was telling him all that. What did Felix response? Frightened. Ooh, I don't, I don't want to talk about this judgment to come. I don't, I don't know about all this. Uh, you're telling me that I'm a sinner. You're telling me that all people have sinned. You're telling me that I need to believe in Jesus to have what? Eternal life? The Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit convicts the world, it's John 16, 8 through 11. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, sin because they have not believed righteousness because he goes to the Father in judgment because the prince of the world has been judged. The Holy Spirit convicts people of three things. Of sin, sin because they have not believed in Christ. Not personal sins. They may, they may convict you of a personal sin, but the Holy Spirit's job is to convict you that you have not believed in Jesus that you need to be righteous to get to the Father, and there's a judgment coming. So when you share your faith and you tell people about Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is convicting them that they have not believed in Christ, that they need God's righteousness, and there's a judgment coming. That's what the Holy Spirit's job is. That doesn't mean a person's going to believe. The Holy Spirit convicts the world. That verse says, John 16, 8, and the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's every person. He says, go away, I'll call for you when I have the time. And he sent for him quite often. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Festus. And wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned two years. If you're Paul, you could be going, don't you think it's about time to go to Rome? Right? And then finally the word is out. Felix is gone. Festus has come. Paul could say, maybe things are going to change. And we'll see what happens when he comes. Let me give you these applications. Let's, let's realize God is our protection. There's no doubt about it. He protected Paul in the, in the council. He protected Paul in the conspiracy. He protected Paul, Paul with Felix. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He is our strength and shield. And you may say, well... That those Roman soldiers were the protection, but that's what God used to protect him. And here's a little boy coming to Paul to tell him about the conspiracy. Here's this governor with a Jewish wife to hear the message about Jesus Christ. Wow. God is our protection. He is our strength and shield. Let's understand that God keeps his promises. His timing might be a little bit different. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear, right? He keeps his promises. God's word is always true. John 17, 17, thy word is truth. But you know, 
his timing is different than ours. I mean, how many of you think it would be better if Jesus would go ahead and come back right now? Yeah, all of us say, oh, yeah, come on and get us and let's go, let's go. But Jesus says, no, obviously it's not right this second, is it? Or it'd be happening right now. He's not willing for any to perish, but all to come to a change of mind. He wants people to be saved. Let's understand the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin that they have not believed. Righteousness that you have to be righteous to be with the Father. And there's a judgment coming, a separation. Paul's message convicted him because he said, wow, he was afraid and frightened and said, you go away, I'll call you when I can find the time. And so over that two-year time period, he sent for him quite often. Wow. Never stop sharing. You might say there's somebody out there that you've shared your faith with them and they didn't believe. And then they talked to you more and they didn't believe. And you talk to them more and you say, I'm not going to talk to them anymore because they're not believing. How many times do you think Paul might have talked to to, uh, Felix? We don't know. Be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within us.